This morning, we have a very special guest, Pastor Terry Wong. He's the senior pastor of Calvary Assembly of God in Honolulu, Hawaii. He has a passion for missions, as you're about to find out. His passion for missions has resulted in his church giving and going, planting over 200 churches in China. There's 10,000 people attending the churches they've planted. Would you please put your best hand clap together for Pastor Terry Wong? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank you for welcoming me. I feel like uh, I feel at home here, seriously, because it wasn't until yesterday, and now I'm finding out more so that there's a lot of common things between, between you guys and me, namely the staff. You know, they're, they're from Hawaii, and uh, I didn't even know that. I just thought it was just the Brackens who are from Hawaii. I find out that the whole staff and other people, I've been meeting them even in the first service, and, and uh, we're all Kama'ainas. That means we're locals together. Amen. That's what that means in Hawaii, right? But uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I have known Dr. Morocco for, for over a decade now. I moved to Hawaii from San Francisco and have been there for 14 years. I've been on the district, Hawaii District Assemblies of God Presbytery along with Dr. Morocco. I've been a presbyter now for nine years. I see him at least once a quarter. He's a great man of God, and, and you have a fantastic, you know, uh, uh, father here, you know, a grandfather, you know, for, for many of you. He's just a, a great man, but uh, I got to know his children as well. Uh, I have preached for him in, in, in Maui and, and uh, uh, his, his Oahu uh, um, um, church as well, too. Actually, it's not far from where I used to live, so, so it's great. But uh, uh, it's exciting to be here. This is my first trip to Alaska, to be honest. Now, in case you think I'm really freezing, okay, I am, okay, <laughs> let me just say that. But um, I've been in Hawaii for 14 years. Prior to that, I lived in San Francisco for 14 years. But prior to that, I lived in Calgary for seven years, and actually... Um, because I used to be a marathon runner, I once ran when it was minus six degrees. So this should not affect me, but I'm so climatized, I, it does, okay? Um, I was born in Victoria, Canada, um, lived in Vancouver, and that's why I also lived in Calgary for seven years. Um, so that's kind of my life, okay? So if you add in, if add in all those numbers and all that, you can kind of guess my age, okay? But I'm, I'm older than I look, okay? I'm older than I look. But I'm excited. Um, prior to moving to Hawaii... As I mentioned, I was in the Bay Area, 14 years. My first degree was in mathematics and computer science. Because of that, I, I did IT as a career. And so I did the whole uh, dot-com thing in, the, in, in Silicon Valley. I, I started out as a programmer, then database administrator, then a systems engineer, and then I got into sales, and I was a vice president. I was CEO of a company. I worked for three $1 billion companies. And so, as you can imagine, I made a lot of money. And uh, I was my mom's favorite child because I did that. <clears throat> well, not just because I did that. But uh, my parents are from China. And so uh, my wife also, um, her, her parents are from China as well. I met her in Vancouver. So we're both Chinese. We're Canadian Chinese, but we're pretending to be Americans. <laughs> we actually have our U.S. citizenship application in. We're just waiting for it to, to be approved after so many years, right? Yeah. But um, um, because... My parents came from China. My mother only had a second grade education because things were rough. She lived in the countryside outside of Guangzhou. And um, uh, so when they moved to, to Canada, they, they, they didn't have a whole lot of skills. They worked as cooks. And because of that, I was raised in a very humble setting. And, and then when I um, got into my career, I made it big because then mega bucks came. And so I went from rags to riches and I really enjoyed life then. In 87, I got licensed as an Assemblies of God minister. In 1990, I got ordained. And then um, because of that, uh, God led me to, first of all, be a youth pastor. And then I, I, I planted my own church in the Bay Area. So life was really good. Made a lot of money in my secular career because I was bivocational. And then also I served God as a senior pastor. But then, you know, God does this once in a while. He stirs up the nest. And he said, I want you to take on this church, Calvary Assembly of God in Honolulu. Now, I did my master's degree 
at Fuller Seminary. I'm, I'm completing my doctorate right now. And actually, Dr. Morocco has a lot to do with encouraging me to do that. But um, I did my master's, and one of my professors, whom I took a lot of classes from, was Dr. Peter Wagner. And um, in, fact, um, in fact, we still stay in close contact. He even wrote um, an endorsement on my book and, and all that. And one thing that I learned from him is that old churches don't change much. He said, if you want a church that changes, you've got to plant your own church, which I did. Okay, so everything was good. But then I'm looking at this Calvary Assembly Church in Honolulu. It's a 45-year-old church. I'm going, that's an old church. And because the church was without a pastor for two years, the church had dwindled down to 100 people. So I'm going, why do I want to give up everything, my own church, my friends who lived in the Bay Area, my career, to take on this church that won't change? And get paid one-tenth my salary. It's like, does that make sense? And then God said this to me, if you will give up everything, I will make this a world-changing church. Now, I would love to say that I was super spiritual, and I said, okay, then I'll do it, Lord. Okay? I did not. I actually, I struggled with it for a long time, and thank God for wives. Huh, husbands? Thank God for wives. My wife was a spiritual one who said, well, did God say that? So, yeah. So then we got to give it up. I said, but, but dear, you understand, that means we can't just go to any restaurant, eat anywhere, regardless of what's on the menu. She says, well, you know, I guess I'll have to cook now. <laughs> and then I said, yeah, but that also means that if you just have this urge to, to go to London or, or go to Singapore, we can't do that anymore. She says, okay, then we'll go wherever God tells us to go. So she was a spiritual one. So husbands need to listen to the spiritual head of the household, right? <laughs> Or the, the neck that turns the head, actually. The neck that turns the head. Well, then by faith, we decided that we are going to do it. And now, 14 years later, as you heard, Dr., uh, Pastor Daniel, um, we have planted over 200 churches in, in China with 10,000 converts. We have, um, amen, praise God. We didn't quit there. We also planted 20 churches with about 2,000 converts in India. We have a church... Uh, well, 100 people in East Timor, which is the newest nation in the world. God just led me to, to do that. Um, and now we just planted our fifth church in Brazil. And, and, and so that, that's the going part of what we do. You know, in our church, we believe in a three-pronged approach to, to missions, praying, giving, and going. Well, that's the going. We pray a lot for missions. If every prayer meeting we have, we pray for missions. And then the, the giving part, uh, my people have, have given so sacrificially that according to to Randy Hurst, who is one of the executives out of Springfield, he keeps all the stats of every Assemblies of God church in the nation. He, said, he tells me that for about five, four or five years running now, Calvary Assembly has been in the top five in missions giving, in per capita giving in the entire country. I give God the glory. Amen. So now, God has transformed this church into being a world-changing church. And so that's what happens when you obey God. Amen. Praise God. So because of our story, a book publisher came to me and said, when are you going to write your book? And I said, what book? And all that. Finally, he convinced me to buy, write it, and I wrote it, Missions Power. It's one of the, the um, bestsellers. In fact, Dr. George Wood just read it, and in fact, he's planning to put it on the AG website to make it accessible to the entire denomination. Uh, he, he, he even said that if you do a reprint, which I'm about to do, he said, you can put my endorsement in it as well. I've got John Bevere who wrote the foreword. He's a good friend of mine. Um, you know, we've got Heidi Baker, who, who's phenomenal in Mozambique. She wrote an endorsement. She's a good friend of mine, too. Uh, um, so if you want it, it's $15, but, but all the proceeds go to missions, okay? And, and I'll even go back there and sign it. Then it'll be worth a million dollars. How's that? <laughs> all right. You ready for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. And if you love Jesus this morning, say amen. Yeah. All right. I can sense it in the worship already. The first service was phenomenal. And uh, I believe that there's uh, quite a spirit in this congregation as well. Hallelujah. All right. So Acts chapter 7, I'm going to start reading from verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. 
Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. I've entitled my sermon this morning, What Makes Jesus Stand Up? What Makes Jesus Stand Up? Heavenly Father, as I lay hands upon your words, I ask, Lord, for an anointing to go upon your words, Lord. You anointed your words in the first service. I believe you're going to do so again right now. And so, Lord, may I step aside and you minister to hearts. You speak to hearts. You challenge them, O oh God. And, Lord, wreck them if you have to do that, O oh God. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, we have a story here in the book of Acts. Stephen was not a pastor. Okay, he was a leader in the church, but he was not a pastor. I want you to know something. It doesn't take a pastor to, to do what Stephen did. And what we see here is that he was not afraid to talk about Jesus. Okay? Um, the crowds didn't want to hear about it because it's the same man that they had crucified not too long ago. Yet, because he had the Holy Spirit in him, he was an anointed man of God. Not a pastor, but he was an anointed man of God. Just like each one of us can be anointed men and women of God. And we see here that um, when Stephen was getting his vision as he was about to be stoned, in verse 56, it says that he, he's, he saw heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay? I, I want to paint a picture for you right now. Let's suppose that this beautiful stage here is the throne room. Okay? Where you are is earth. And, you know, this is heaven, throne room. And right in the middle here is where God is sitting, okay? You can't see God because you would die, okay? So let's just imagine. But to his right-hand side is a seat, which after Jesus ascended up from earth, so he was here, he just spoke to the disciples and said that you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Okay? And then the Bible says that he ascended up to heaven. So he ascended. He's ascending. And then he sits down at the right-hand side of God. Okay? That's what Mark 16, 19 says. After the Lord Jesus spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Now, what's he doing here? Is he, like, in a relaxed posture, receiving all the glory? Come on, angels. Come on, earth. Come on, Sunday morning crowd. Come on, listen. Give it to me. Is, is that what he's doing? Okay? If he did that, that is fine with me because he deserves it. Huh? He is worthy. If that's all he's doing, I am fine with that. But that's not what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 to 25, it says, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Everybody say intercede. intercede. So what's he doing here? He, he's not in some relaxed, lazy boy. Okay? I mean, he is a kingly seat, let me tell you. But he's not relaxed. He is interceding. He's not doing nothing. So when, when Pastor Karen earlier prayed, that came... According to the book of Revelation, that prayer came up to him like a bowl of incense. So he receives the bowl. He smells it. Oh, it's from my daughter, Karen. Okay, that, she's a good one. She's a good one. Uh, what, what is she praying about? Salvation. Oh, yeah, that smells good. Oh, yeah. Healing. Oh, that's a good one, too. Church growth. Mission. Oh, I like all that. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, because he's the only begotten son. He can address God the Father that way. Hey, Dad, we got Sister Karen, and, and, and she wants to, to have more church growth, missions, and salvation, all that. I think we ought to do that. Now, Heavenly Father is listening to His Son requesting something. He's a good son. He's always obeyed. He's never disobeyed. What father would not listen to the plea of a good son, a good plea of a good son. Now, I'm a father. I have an 18-year-old son named Brandon. I have a 16-year-old daughter, Vanessa, and I have a 9-year-old cutie, Ryan, okay? 
He's always going to be my baby, okay? And, and I've got the three of them. Now, I was raised not to be spoiled because I had no choice. I mean, we came from a poor family. My parents barely made ends meet. I, have, I had one Hot Wheel car and a ball until I was 12 years old. That's all I had to play with, okay? We had black and white TV back then. There was no color. There was definitely no iPhone, nothing, you know what I'm saying? A lot of kids now, they're kind of spoiled, right, you know? <laughs> so I was taught also to, to cook at an early age, wash dishes, vacuum, all that stuff. When I started cooking, I think I was eight years old or nine years old. Okay, and, and good thing because my wife, she had a criteria. Before, the man she was going to marry had to know how to cook. So praise God, okay? <laughs> but, but my kids, they also have chores too because I don't want them to grow up spoiled and all that. I know what it took to get me to where I am. And my wife, same thing. Her parents from China, same upbringing. So our kids have to wash the dishes, take turns, vacuum, all that stuff. And so let's suppose that my oldest son, Brandon, he comes to me. He says, hey, Dad, may I have $20? I said, oh, what for? Well, you know, you know I'm into Clash of Clans, and I want to buy that new car for more time and all that stuff. And, and what do you think, Dad? Uh, not much of a request. And, and I notice in the kitchen, you haven't washed the dishes yet. Like, uh, sorry, nope, that's not, I don't think that's good, right? Now, let's say my daughter comes up to me, and she says to me, hey, Dad, we have $20. You too? What do you want it for? Well, you know, when I go to school every day, there's this homeless person on the street corner, and I see him. He's always begging for things, and my heart was moved, and I just want to give him something so they can help him out. And, and by the way, I saw that Brandon didn't wash the dishes, so I did it for him. He says, oh, good girl, good girl. Well, you know what? Here's 20 bucks right there, okay? <laughs> right, right? You, you understand where I'm going? Parents, you understand? Well, parents, that is father. He is ultimate parent. And here is ultimate son. He's never disobeyed. He's washed all his dishes. He's cooked whenever he's asked to cook. He's done everything, even to the death on the cross. Everything Father asked him to do, he did. And now he takes a bowl of incense and asks, Hallelujah. Our Father, who's the giver of all good things, he will answer what the son requests. But what, what, if, what if, just suppose, that the bowl of incense didn't come from Pastor Karen. Let's say it came from somebody that's not attending KC, nor Calvary Assembly. And, and, and Jesus takes it and, oh, this one stinks. Doesn't smell good at all. We got somebody who wants 10 Ferraris to keep up with Greg Norman in Australia. You got, what is that? Forget that one. He won't even bother the father with that kind of request. It doesn't get further than Jesus. Or even worse, what if he gets the bowl of incense and smells it? Oh, this one, really stinky. I don't even know who this person is. I'm like, who is that person? Who is that person? Come on, Jesus, you can remember me. Come on. I'm the one that goes to church. You know me. I mean, yeah, Easter and Christmas, that's the only time. But, but at least I go to church. I know I have friends who don't even go to church at all. Come in. You got to know me. Know you? You're not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, I don't know you there. Yeah, yeah come on, come on. I've 11th prophetic conference. I was at the, 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 the second one, like for part of it, like for five minutes of it. I dropped off somebody. But, 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 but when, the prophet, when the prophet was prophesying, I said, amen. Yeah, I was part of that prophecy. I did. You see, I moved into spiritual gift too. Yeah, right, you've got to know me. I never knew you. That's what he's going to say. Now, why would Jesus say that? See, he said that in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Why would Jesus say that unless you don't know him? See, it's a two-way relationship. He will know you if you know him. But if you don't know him, he doesn't know you. You can't just rely on the fact that, well, my family went to church. Oh, my parents are Christians. No, you've got to work out your own salvation with trembling, the Bible says. You've got to be connected with the person that's sitting at the right-hand side. If there's nothing else you get on my sermon, but there's one thing. It is more important than missions, let me tell you. And that is your relationship with the one here. Because who cares if you give the missions if you don't have a relationship with that guy here? Yeah, your money goes to help the kingdom, but you're not going. You need to be connected with the one here. So when he takes the bowl, he says, oh, I know my son. I know my daughter. As opposed to, who's this? Chuck that one away. Pastor, is that why sometimes my prayers don't get answered? You, get, you got it. You got it. Because the most important thing is your relationship. 
with Jesus Christ. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. Are you following what I'm trying to say here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But that's just an introduction to my sermon. What makes Jesus stand up? I believe there are a few scenarios. I'm, I'm going to outline three of them. Actually, I'm writing a second book right now, Pastor Karen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's called What Makes Jesus Stand Up. And, and actually, I've got a lot of more points than just today. Okay. That, that's in, my, in the second book I'm writing. But the first point is when someone stands up for him, when someone stands up for him, I believe that causes Jesus to stand up. See, in verse 56, I just read it. That, that when, when Stephen looked up, he saw Jesus standing up. And why? Because in this moment, right in front of the crowd, he was standing up for Jesus. I mean, they're, they're about to, to, to stone him. And yet, he's not afraid. He's still willing to stand up for Jesus, no matter what. No matter what the crowd, no matter what the peer pressure may be. No matter who is watching and who knows about your past. And, and you Christian, you got to be No, Stephen is willing to stand up. A few years ago, I was on my way to church because I normally hold a cell group with my men at church. And so it was about 7, uh, about 7 p.m. I was, I was driving to church on Wednesday, and then I get a phone call from one of the sisters in the church. And she calls me and says, hey, Pastor Terry, did you um, watch on the evening news tonight about that explosion at Hawaiian Electric? I said, I didn't watch. What happened? Well, Hawaiian Electric, that's the utility company that powers all of Hawaii. One of the batteries exploded. Okay, I mean, I'm talking a little bit. I mean, the big ones, okay? And one of the employees was in the line of fire, so to speak, and the acid got on him. So he's at the hospital. So, so she says, is there any way that you can come to Queen's Medical Center and pray for this man? And I said, well, I don't know him. Do you know him? He says, well, remember I just start bringing Sandy to our prayer meetings? I said, yeah, 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 she just started coming to church. I said, well, it's her husband. He's not a believer, and he's the one. I said, Oh, let me see what I can do. So I get to church. I tell my men about it. And they go, oh, yeah, we saw it on the news and all that. I says, well, do you mind if we take our cell group over there and, and, and see what we can do? Says, oh, we would love it. Because my men, any chance they have to get out of church, they will do it. Okay? <laughs> and, and now you need to understand something, okay, before all of you start taking off right now, okay? <laughs> we have an extremely missions church. Everyone has outwardness in their mind, okay? In Philippians, where it says that you need to think of others more importantly than yourself, my church is like that, okay? That's why this church is, is a major missions church. And so my men are thinking that, see, when we meet in church, it's to get equipped so that we can go out. See, I mean, we love all the praise and worship stuff. I'm, I'm as Pentecostal as they come and all that, you know? But, but when it's time, we go out. We take all that Pentecostalism and we take it out there. See, because that's what this... The, the Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. What for? So that you can speak in tongues more, so you can worship more, you can dance more. No, so that you can be a witness out there, okay? So my men are like that. So I said, here's a chance to be more of a witness. Let's go. So we go to the hospital, Queens Medical Center. We, we walk into the emergency ward, and I'm telling you, it was full. Had the family members uh, of the man there, uh, the, the, the co-workers at Hawaiian Electric, had friends. I mean, it was crowded. And then they had the, the TV cameras were there too because they were still taping this thing. It was on the 6 o'clock news and they're planning to, to do a part two on 11 o'clock news. So, so they're filming this whole thing, right? And so, oh, how sad. Look at the family and, you know, our prayers and thoughts are with them. And I hate that line. You non-Christian, you don't know how to pray, so don't say prayers. You can say you're thinking about it, but don't say prayers, right? You know what I'm trying to say? My prayers and thoughts are with you. Your thoughts are. Keep it there, okay? Unless, unless you're born again. You know how to pray to the one in the, at the right-hand side of the Father. Amen. That's a pet peeve. Sorry. Okay. So they're filming this, okay? So then I'm, I'm, I'm Sandy. She runs out. Says, Pastor, thank you for coming. Can you come? My husband, he said that, that he hasn't got much time to live. The doctor said he's going to die. I said, okay, let's see what we can do. We're walking. The doctor comes out. Doctor, whoa, 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 what's going on? He says, well, that's my pastor and his men. He says, oh, no, 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 no. Those men can't come in here. There's limited room and all that. And my men said, Pastor, that's okay. We've already spotted a room, okay? What we're going to do is that we're going to go into the room, set up some chairs in a circle, and we'll have a prayer meeting in there. Is that okay? I said, you just go for it, right? So, so they went to the room, turned on the light, set up the chairs, and they were praying. Meanwhile, I'm following Sandy, and we walk in the room. And church, I've never seen this in my entire life. On the table was a man. He looked like a piece of flesh. 
because the, the acid had got all over him. I mean, his, his whole body covered with acid. His left eye was blind and puffed up to be the size of a golf ball. From the left knee down, there was nothing because the acid had already disintegrated that part of his leg. And he was in extreme pain because unlike, unlike fire burn, you know, fire will, will, will char you, right? It'll burn. I mean, it's still hot and, and it hurts and all that. But with acid burn, it keeps on eating at you because acid's still there. It's eating away. So he's in pain. Here we gave him morphine. He's still in pain and, and, you know, it doesn't look good. It was a bad situation. Sandy goes up to her husband and says, dear, um, my pastor, my new pastor is here. He's here to pray for you. He says, why would he want to pray for me? I don't even know him. And I says, oh, sir, I will pray for anyone. You don't have to come to my church. I will pray for anyone. He says, but I don't deserve prayer. I mean, you don't understand. I gave up on God. I, I, I went against my wife. I, I, I sinned against her. I sinned against my family, all my friends, and I don't deserve prayer. I said, that is a lie from hell. Jesus saved you. Jesus can save you again. Would you like to get saved right now? And then he says, well, the doctor said I'm going to die, so I must get ready for heaven. Okay, you know, can you, can you pray for me, right? So I said, okay, let's pray. So I pray for him, salvation, and in the name of Jesus, amen. So he rededicated his life. And then the doctor says, okay, time's up. I said, wait, time's up. I'm not finished yet. He says, when do you're not finished yet? Well, I haven't prayed for his healing yet. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, you, know, you, you preachers, you're good with spiritual things, but physical things, that's my specialty. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I didn't say it. I said, that's your specialty? Well, you're not doing a very good job. I mean, you, he's, he's going to die. You know, like, like what? Yeah. You're no expert. Look at this, right? And so but I, I, was, I was diplomatic and all that, right? You know, because I am Assembly's God, so I got a, you know, reputation. So, so I said, um, well, I'm going to pray for him anyway. So I said, well, suit yourself. And he just marched out of there. I'm thinking, man, this guy needs counseling 101. What kind of doctor is he? You know? so, so I prayed for him. I said, in the name of Jesus, by his stripes, you have been healed. And, and amen. And then I looked and nothing, no change. Well, I, I saw in the corner of my eyes. He was peeking around like this. And as soon as I finished saying amen, he, he came up. Ha! See? I told you. See? See? Waste the prayer. You just save that prayer for somebody else for salvation. That's all good your prayers are for anyways. And right there, I was thinking, going, wow! <laughs> See, something that Pastor Daniel didn't introduce me about was that in 1988, remember the Summer Olympics were held in Seoul, Korea. Okay. Well, Taekwondo was not an Olympic sport back then. But because it's held in Korea, you know, that, that's, um, that's a place where the national sport is Taekwondo. So because of that, they requested from the Olympic Committee if Taekwondo can be an exhibition sport. Now, since then, it's now an Olympic game, you know. But, but back then, it wasn't. So it was granted. Well, because of that, I qualified to be on a national team. Yeah, I was on the Taekwondo Olympic team. I want to show the doctor why I qualified that moment. But I thought, you know, the media is outside. And if they get wind of this, how bad it would be the next day if in a newspaper or on TV says, Assemblies of God, pastor beats up on doctor. Okay? That would not be very good. Dr. George Wood would not be very happy. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? So I, I, I just, you know, that's cool. I had pride too, but I swallowed it that moment. Okay, I'm out of here. Okay, thank you for the time and all that. Yeah, you just leave. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then I get back into the lobby, and I'm telling you, my men, oh, talking about being Pentecostal. They were speaking in tongues. They were loud. They were casting out every demon. The mother of the, the patient was in the center of the circle, had other people asking for salvation, healing, people had headaches and all that stuff. And hallelujah, had a prayer meeting right there at Queen's Medical Center. Hallelujah. And then at about 10 o'clock, we finished up, and then the men asked me, so pastor, um, did he get healed? I says, no, but he got saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we place too much emphasis on physical healing, which I am all for. We have healing services in our church and, and all that stuff, you know, but I'm telling you, spiritual healing is even more important. Because what good is it if an unbeliever gets healed but dies? He still goes to hell, right? But if you're healed here, you go to heaven. Sick or well, you go to heaven, right? Now, of course, best is both happens, right? And, of course, I'm a believer in that, okay? So the men say, well, praise God. I says, well, you know what? Keep praying, guys, okay? Keep praying. So they left. I went home. 
And then the next morning, I'm in my car. I'm driving to church. It's about 9 a.m. And then I get a phone call from Sandy. Pastor, I'm at the hospital. It's crazy. It's like a zoo here. I said, what's going on? Well, you know, last night's shift, the nurses are switching over to the new shift. And, 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 and the, the last night's nurses are telling the new nurses that there was a fight in here. A fight? What kind of fight was that? Well, they're saying that the men were fighting each other. And I corrected them. I said, they weren't fighting each other. They were fighting the devil. I said, good on you. Yeah. And then, and then, pastor, I went to a room to see my husband. You won't believe what happened. The left eye, remember it was blind and the size of golf ball? I said, yeah. It went back in his socket and he can see again. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Pastor, that's not the best thing. I said, what? Well, it was well, something even better. Yeah. Remember the left leg? I said, uh, what happened to the left leg? Overnight, a new leg grew out. A new leg grew out in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Wow. I'm on the phone, and I couldn't hold back. I said, Sandy, where's the doctor? And she said, we don't know. He took off. He should take off. Expert in physical things. Let me tell you, there's one, only one expert in physical things, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's sitting at the right-hand side of the Father. Hallelujah. And he's not just an expert in physical things. He's an expert in spiritual things. He's an expert in emotional things. He's an expert in financial things. He's an expert over everything. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you what I believe happened in heaven on that night. Because I know that you have a Wednesday night service. I saw it on your website. So, here was Jesus on that Wednesday night. Oh, there were some good bowls of incense presented to him. Oh, another one from KC, Alaska. Oh, this is a good one. Hey, Dad, let's, uh, oh, whoa, click. Pause. There's a pause button in heaven. It's not just on your DVD player. <laughs> wow! Dad, are you seeing what I'm seeing in Honolulu there? Look what's going on. Those men from Calvary Assembly... They're standing up for me in front of the TV cameras. And then look over in that, that operating room. Look, there's that pastor. Oh, Terry Wong, good brother there. Look at that. And then, and then oh, what a terrible doctor. Oh, that was a... <laughs> but you, you see what's going on? They're all standing up for me, Dad. And, and, and there's a guy who needs salvation. And, and, and Brother Terry just prayed for that salvation prayer. Let's, let's save him, okay? But look. He, oh, he's praying again, even though the doctor walked out. Oh, that's okay. But, but look at that. Now he's praying for healing. Dad, this is a good one. This is a good one, Dad. I think that we need to heal him, and let's do it in a different way. Because all throughout the Bible, there's different healing. Sometimes we put him in the pool. Sometimes we spit on the face. Sometimes we, we, we just say the word. Let's do a new one. Let's overnight heal this leg, and may my name be glorified. Hallelujah. And you know what I think happened? You know what I think happened? Father, listen to the son. Because the son, that's a good plea, and that's a good son. And he, he answered the prayers of those who are standing up for him. Hallelujah! He does that kind of stuff. That's what he does. And he can do that for you too, when you stand up for him. Hallelujah. When else? When else? What else makes Jesus stand up? When someone sacrifices for him. When someone sacrifices for him. If you look at the story now, in verse 59, it says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Does that sound so familiar? Like, here's, here's Jesus. And, and he's, back then, 2,000 years ago, he just probably got a bowl of incense handed to him. And it's from Peter. And Peter's asking for more growth in Jerusalem. And as he's look, smelling and all that, whoa, pause button again. Those are my words. That's what I said at my desk. He's doing what I'm doing. And look, he's sacrificing just as I sacrifice. Because he loves me. Because he, 
learning how to sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice is own death. I believe when we sacrifice, oh, he will stand up. But do we Americans really know what sacrifice is? Do we really? I told you earlier, I've got 20 church planters in India. They're in the interior part of India in, in a town called Jagdapur. And, and um, is it, in fact, it's in the places where there's, there's live tigers in the jungles. Okay, like we're talking hardcore missions. And one, our, our, my main contact there, he called me one day. He said, Pastor Terry, um, the work is really hard. Is there any way that you can come here and run a retreat and really encourage our pastors? I said, okay, let's, let's make it happen. And it just happened that we also built a center there. Okay? I call it the Calvary City of Refuge. That's the name of it. Because, see, what a lot of Americans don't know is that in India, if you're a Christian and you don't own property, they will persecute you and the government will do nothing. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Now, the government's not going to tell America that, okay? Because they can't, you know, for economic reasons. When you have problems with windows, when you have problems with your, 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 your eye whatever, iPhone, iPad, whatever, and you call, you notice that most of the time you don't get an American? You get somebody with an Indian accent. You know why? You just got hooked to somebody from India. It's a lot cheaper to pay them their salary than Americans that want $100,000 a year salary. So, but it's good business for India. The government doesn't want America to know what's really going on because, man, you know the president would cut the, you know, that's it, sever the ties, forget this, 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 this working together business-wise. So one of the things that happens is that. And so I built, I had, had, had this center built because we own it. Nobody, we're not renting it. So when any of the pastors need, need, need to be refreshed and protection, they come to the Calvary City of Refuge. And that's where they, so, so they're saying that, can you, can you um, host a retreat? Okay, I said, let's do it. Okay, because, man, if things are getting hard, let's do it. So I had to fly from Honolulu to Japan, Japan to Singapore, Singapore to Mumbai, from Mumbai, a local flight to, to Raipur, from Raipur, a three-hour drive to Jagdapur. It was a long trek. Okay, but it's worth it because these guys, I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. Okay, I'm getting all ready and it's like about half an hour before start time of our retreat. And these guys that come in, it's not just my 20 church planters. In fact, when they heard that Terry Wong's coming, they invited all the pastors around the area. So we had close to 100, 100 pastors in our retreat. Okay, but um, and, and, and my 20, at least half of them actually walk through the jungles to get there. And some of them had to evade tigers. I'm, I'm not kidding about this. This is hardcore. This is real mission now. Okay. Then one of them came up to me right in the front here. said, Pastor, I'm so glad that you're here. I said, well, I'm so glad to be here too. Tell me, how's the work going? And he says, uh, oh, you know, my house church, we have 80 people now. I said, 80? That's awesome because you've only been doing it for like six months, right? 80 people? He says, yeah, but it's been really hard, Pastor. I said, well, tell me, tell me a story. And he says, uh, well, last month I was preaching and these, these extremists broke into the, in, into the house and there's like 15, 20, I don't know exactly how many, about 15, 20 of them. They came into the house, and then they, I, I was at the front, and they came right up to the front. They took me, they slammed me to the ground, and started just punching me, punching me, and saying, renounce Jesus, renounce Jesus, renounce Jesus. And I wouldn't do it. I said, Jesus is my Lord. And then they looked over and said, hey, we've seen the photographs. This is your wife here. Okay, if you don't care about your own life, then you must care for your wife. So you renounce Jesus now, or now we're going to hurt her. And he looked at her, she looked at him, and she shook her head. And he said, Jesus is my Lord. Okay, you want to play that game, do you? So the head guy, he pulled her up, and when he did, the bottom of her blouse came up a little bit, revealing a scar from her C-section that she had a month before. And he goes, oh, you just had a baby, huh? One more chance. You renounce Jesus or we're really going to hurt her. And again, he looked at her. She looked at him. And again, she shook her head. And this time, with much resistance, he said, Jesus is still my Lord. Okay, 
Okay, that's what you want to do. And those murderous extremists, they put their fingers in the scar and ripped it open. Went, ha! You have a God? Your God didn't save her. And marched out of there. He's telling me this story. I'm standing here. And I've got tears streaming down my cheeks. And he says this to me. Pastor, I came here to learn from you. And I'm thinking, you learn from me. I need to learn from you. I mean, I have the glamorous job of traveling around the world, flying 100,000 miles a year. I get to preach in great churches like KC Alaska and other churches and in missions conferences and, and, and planting churches and, and doing missions. But you're, the, you're in the front line. That's sacrifice. I don't even know what sacrifice is compared to you. And because we have more time, I'm going to share one more. Another guy. He comes up like this. It was so strange. I was wondering, why is he walking up like this? I'm going, hey, how you doing? And I'm trying to wipe the tears because you've got to look good, right? You've got to look. And, and, and he goes, Pastor, I just heard him share his story. May I tell mine? I said, oh, no. Another hardship? He says, yeah, the persecutors came to me too. They had a concrete block on the ground, two of them. They put my head on it, and they had another concrete block. And they said, will you renounce Jesus? And I wouldn't do it. So they slammed a block on my head continuously. He was standing like this telling me the story. Then he turned around. The whole side of his skull was flattened. And he said the same thing. Pastor Terry, I just want to learn how to be a real missionary from you. I lost it right there. How dare I say I sacrifice to God when these guys are really sacrificing. And here some of us have the gall to tell God, I sacrificed. I didn't go to the NFL playoff game at home and watch that. I came to church. You call that sacrifice? Or last year, my faith promise. Oh, yeah, I gave up my lunch money, so I wrote that amount down. You call that sacrifice? Did that hurt you? These guys are sacrificing their lives. Stephen sacrificed their lives. You know why Calvary is one of the top five missions-giving churches in America today? I've got teenagers. I just had my missions conference in November. It's my 12th annual missions conference. And Pastor Gary Brothers was one of my speakers. I have about six, seven speakers every year. Because it's, it's the missions conference in Hawaii. I have 40 churches that attend this conference in my church. And he spoke. One of the faith promises was from my teenager. In fact, I've got several of these. $400 a month. And one of them, I, I just had to ask because I'm thinking, you know, she only works at McDonald's. So I asked her, I said, um, excuse me. Um, now, of course, it's all private, one-on-one, nobody knows this. I said, uh, you, you submit a, a faith promise of $400. Are you sure this is the right amount? Do you have maybe one too many zeros? You need to put the decimal point in the right place? Pastor, don't you remember what I pledged last year? No, because we got a lot of pledges. We're not 100 people anymore, by the way. We have grown. And I I said, no, I don't remember. I'm sorry. We have so many pledges. I pledged $300. And last year, in addition to my tithe, I gave my $3,600. 300 times 12. I said, and so you, you teach us. You said that every year we need to increase in faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So this year, I increased my faith because I just got a raise. I'm now on French fries. <laughs> I said, wow, but I don't understand. You tithe and you get missions. This is pretty well your paycheck. Yeah, yes, pastor. But what happens when your friends want to go see the movies? I don't go. What happens when they want to go to a restaurant and eat something? I don't go. You taught us that. You said, if we give up our life, someone else will have a life. I can't believe somebody listens to my preaching. <laughs> I'll tell you, I live my message too. Even though I don't get paid nearly, not even close to what I used to get paid in the Bay Area, my wife and I are still in the top five in missions giving our church. Because I don't want Jesus to be the only one sacrificing in this world. 
I want to sacrifice too. You understand? And I wonder if, if during the time when, when my teenagers are writing $400 a month or some of my adults, some of my adults are up to 40%, 50% of income goes to missions. I'm not lying about that. I wonder if during the writing of the faith promise or the fulfilling of the faith promise is when Jesus stands up and takes notice. He goes, wow, that is a sacrificial Christian. That is a sacrificial church. And then third point. First is what makes Jesus stand up when someone stands up for him, when someone sacrifices for him, when someone shapes the world for him. Because Acts 8.1, it says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. I wonder, as Jesus was sitting, and he's, again, answering the prayers of the saints and all that, and he's seeing, look look, look at that, Father, Dad, are you see? Are you looking down the corridors of time like I am? Look at that man named Saul. That's his Jewish name. His his Roman name is, is Paul. This Saul Paul guy. If we save him, Dad, he will turn the whole world upside down. I think we ought to do that. Because I see great potential in him. Even though he's a murderer, even though he has such a bad past, it doesn't matter about the past. All that matters is what's in the future. And I wonder, maybe right now, maybe, is Jesus is answering prayers of all the multiple congregations going on right now having service. If maybe he's pausing the button and he's seeing Casey, Alaska, and he's seeing maybe some hearts. Dad. You see the sister sitting right there? You see the brother that's sitting right there? You see the move, harpy move? You see the amount that he is changing? He came into service thinking he's going to pledge a certain amount, and now he's adding a zero to it, or he's adding another number to it. He, he's going to do something bad. He's going to do it. Wow. And Jesus standing up. This one moment. Because somebody here at KC, Alaska. When I first began to pastor Calvary Assembly of God, 14 years ago, I attended my first Hawaii Assemblies of God District Council. And there was a new superintendent that just got elected, Dr. George Nagato. And he preached his, his first message in District Council. And he asked two questions during the message. And I was sitting there, I'm a new pastor of Calvary Assembly of God, and he says, he asked this, these two questions. The first one, if your church ceases to exist, would anyone know about it? And I'm thinking, whoa, that's heavy duty. Because Calvary Assembly of God, it started out as a Chinese church. In fact, it was largely Chinese. Nobody would know. The community would think, oh, that's just some Chinese club that closed its doors. And I wonder how many churches would also say that. Or how many communities would actually say that. Right? The people around the community, they say, oh, we didn't know anything about that church. So they closed. Right? They, they don't even know about it. Don't even know about it. But then he asked the second question, and that one cut my heart. Dr. Nagato asked, if your church ceases to exist, would anyone care? Would anyone care? I'm telling you, today, 14 years later, I think that there are some orphanages in China that we've established that would care if we went out of business. I think that there's a lot of missionaries all around the world that would care. We can't send our mission dollars to them anymore. I'm thinking about, and I'll talk about tonight, the mercy home that we've established for teenage prostitute girls. I think they would care if we close our doors. What are we doing here, church? Are we a church that's reaching out to the world? Are we making a difference in somebody's world? Maybe we can't change the whole world, but we can change somebody's world. But we're not doing that. What are we doing? So that we can be better praisers and singers and dancers. Let me tell you, God forbid. All that is equipping. All all are seeking for the Holy Spirit. The prophetic conference, the 11th one coming up. To prepare us to be greater witnesses so that we can shape the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's cause him to stand up today. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the story of Stephen, oh God, where we can glean these incredible principles from. And Lord, I'm praying right now, Lord, that your spirit is moving across this congregation. That, Lord, people are willing to stand up for you. That people are willing to sacrifice for you. And people are willing to shape the world for you. But, Lord, I pray, even as I pray right now, that as we prepare to take up the faith promise, that, Lord, 
you change the number that they had. Because if I'm sensing in my spirit prophetically right now, most people were about to pledge a natural pledge. And a natural pledge is you give something you already have. It takes no faith at all because you don't have to trust God for it. You, will, you have the money, you just give it to God. But you see, this is a faith pledge. A faith pledge is where you pledge something that you don't have. That's where you have to trust God. That's where you have to believe that sometime this year, this amount that you are about to pledge that you don't have, God's going to provide it for you. That is a faith pledge. I'm praying right now, Lord, as people, some people, many people, have been thinking of their natural pledge, you would change it to a faith pledge right now. Give them a new number. Let it not be an emotional pledge either. An emotional pledge is where you hear all these great stories and you hear about my people give and now you're going to pledge like a million dollars. That's emotional. You don't have it. Your faith level is not there. But see, what a faith pledge is, you calculate what is your natural pledge and you add a little faith to it. You add that extra 10, 20, 30%, whatever that is, whatever God, Holy Spirit's giving to you, and you be obedient right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for that impartation upon this congregation right now that they will write faith pledges and not natural pledges nor emotional pledges either. Right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take out your faith pledge card? See, this says, I believe this year God will allow me to give and then a certain amount per month. I want you to know something. I have no millionaires in my church. Okay, some people say, oh, you know, you became one of the top churches because you have millionaires. I don't have one millionaire. Okay? Not in my church. I know KC has some. <laughs> in Maui, you know, but, but not, not, not First Assembly too in Honolulu, but not Calvary. But I've got one person. My top pledger last at, in November was 6000 a month. He's a real estate agent. He already talked to his wife about it because he told me about this. That if he doesn't sell enough houses, this is where his faith is. They will take the remaining, the, the 72,000, because 6,000 times 12 is 72,000. They'll take that out of the retirement. They've already, they're, they're, they're together on this. But you know, the year before, he pledged 5,000. He fulfilled the entire 60,000. And God gave him so many houses. I think they did an extension on their home as a result of it. You can't outgive God. God will not be a debtor to no man or woman. God is most pleased when he sees faith operating. This is a faith pledge, not a natural pledge. By the way, all that what I was talking about, I, I have in my book. My sermon's in the book, by the way. And, and tonight's sermon's in the book, too. Again, all that money's going to be missions, too. I just throw that in. But see, what, what is the amount that God is, Holy Spirit, telling you right now? Are you willing to sacrifice? And then you multiply by 12, and that's your total for the year. And then you make sure you, you sign it. You, you write down your information and you sign it. And please do not keep it anonymous. You know, once I had an anonymous pledge, it said a million dollars. What am I going to do with that? I found out afterwards it was some stranger that came to my missions conference and filled that in as a joke. What if I put that in my budgeting? I'd be out a million dollars for all those missionaries and missions projects that we're supporting. See, there needs to be accountability too. And it's not like this is going to be revealed to the whole church. You know, probably in this church, it's just between you and God and the pastor. So, but you need to be accountable. That's the point. Fill out your name, you sign it. And also, to show God that you really mean business, you know how when you, when you buy a new house, you have to put a deposit down? It shows that you're serious. Or talking about NFL playoffs going on, if a team is about to recruit a new player, to show that they mean business, to give them a signing bonus, right? Well, let's give God a good signing bonus right now. We're going to collect this as well as collect your first deposit of your faith pledge. We're going to do that right now. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as I have already prayed that you would move upon each person and give them a number, Lord, I pray that right now they will be totally committed to this, oh God. And Lord, let it not be an emotional thing like I mentioned earlier, oh God. Let it be a faith thing. A faith thing. Let it get beyond the natural and do it in faith. 
And even as they give the deposit, oh God, if they're writing checks, oh God, they can, they can, they can write checks to, to, to this church and, and, and that's going to go totally to missions, not to the house, not, 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 not to any person, to missions. But Lord, I pray, you said, give and it shall be given back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Lord, as they are about to do some giving in this mission area, I pray you will give back to them. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Do that right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As you're completing it, I just want to encourage you to come back for the 6 o'clock service. I believe there's a part two message. I'm going to talk about our, our mercy home in India. If you, if you thought some of my stories moved you, this one is going to move you even more. At least it moved my heart more. You can't get enough of missions. See, Philippians chapter 2 says, our mindset ought to be like Jesus, where you consider others more important than yourself. And he demonstrated by sacrificing himself on the cross for us. But then, hallelujah, he gets to sit on the right-hand side of God. See, you want to be lifted up? You got to lift up others. Hallelujah. Praying, giving, and going. That's what mission is all about. Pastor Karen. Pastor, that was a great word. Why don't you stand to your feet? Before we go today, uh, ushers, did you already come? Oh, come, ushers. Sorry. <laughs> As they're. Um, you can just go ahead and take the offering. Go ahead. Lord, bless it in Jesus' name. You can just play a song for a second. Jesus, I believe in you, and I would go to the ends of the this morning you may not know Jesus even as he was talking about you we need to have a personal relationship with him and so this morning whether you know him or maybe you just want to make a fresh commitment to him this morning why don't you just repeat after me we'll affirm our faith this morning say dear Jesus I ask you to forgive me of all my sin thank you for dying upon uh, upon a cross for me thank you for rising from the dead so I can have eternal life. Help me to live for you today. Write my name in your book. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now just lift up your hands for a moment. Lord, I pray for those this morning who might have just given their hearts afresh to you or just recommitted their lives to you. God, I pray that you would just come by your spirit. You would fill them. Fill them with your spirit afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to take hands with somebody as we close today. Thanks so much for coming. What a powerful word. Make sure you stop by the, um, his table out there and take a look at uh, his book if you're interested. And um, we'll see you tonight. So, Lord, we just thank you so much, much for your word that's gone forth with power today. God, opening up our eyes. <coughs> 
reminding us of the sacrifice that you have done, even in giving, uh, sending your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask today that you would help us as we are, are contending and believing to God for a harvest of souls to come in. God, let your boldness come upon us. Lord, let's, let us uh, reach out to others. God, sharing our faith with others. Lord, we're asking that would be we would be a church of that sacrifices and a church that reaches out, a church that affects this state, this nation, and even the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name, and Lord, I pray that you would bless your people, cause your face to shine upon them, lift up your countenance towards them, be gracious to them, keep them, and give them peace in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right. Well, God bless you all. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you tonight.